it is 10 a.m. in New York, 4 p.m. in Johannesburg, and 9 p.m. in Bangkok. Welcome to In Transit with Sunday Bean. I'm an intercultural strategist, transformation facilitator, and solution-oriented coach. And I'm on a mission to help you adapt and succeed through any life transition. What if I told you about something that could boost your immune system, protect against heart disease, lower blood pressure, and even lower some risk for specific cancers. All of that, and it's free. Any guesses what it is? I'll give you a hint. Three letters. S-E-X. That is right. (laughs) You knew it was good, but did you know how good it actually is for you. Welcome to part two of this two-part series where we focus on something that is definitely in transit or always changing, and that is sex. Together with our guest expert, Irene Fair, we will explore the many ways our lives are in transit and how that impacts our sex lives, what it takes to transform our sexual relationship with ourselves or with our partner, and perhaps Give us some fresh insight on how you can redefine ambitious when it comes to your own sexual transformation. So welcome back, Irene, for part two. Thank you so much for having me. Part one was so amazing. I cannot wait for this conversation. (laughs) I keep thinking about our first conversation. So if people who are listening have not heard part one yet, you've got to go back to it because there were some really, really good bits that you will remember. That's for sure. Let me tell tell you um, a little bit more about Irene for those who are new to her world. She is an expert in women's libido and sexual desire in long-term relationship. She is a certified professional coactive coach and her work is deeply rooted in evidence based work like the Gottman Method Couples Therapy. It's informed by somatic experiencing, to name a few methodologies. She also understands that what her clients go through as she personally has gone through a sexless marriage and has since transformed her own life along with the lives of many, many others. Irene has been featured in the Thought Catalog, Shape, Cosmopolitan, Scary Mommy, and more. So really excited for part two, Irene. Let me just briefly bring people up to speed. In part one, when you are listening, you'll check out some basics around sex, three types of sex, which she helps us understand friction sex, validation sex, and connection sex. And what happens. It helps us get a realistic view of sex and and what to expect. I think one of the things I took away from that conversation is uh, to take the pressure off of of what people think sex um, should be like, but also paint excitement and hope for what it could be like. So in this episode, we're going to dive into the how, not just the what. So Irene, please help me understand what are some of the biggest hows that people wish for when they talk to you when it comes to the sex department? Oh, wow. (laughs) Huge question because there's just so many questions that people have, although most people are too scared to name them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the ones that I hear the most are, of course, how to have better sex in general, emotionally, how to talk to your partner about what you want, Mm -hmm. especially if one or both partners are shy. Mm -hmm how to 
decide if you should go to therapy together or if you should do it separately, if you should see a therapist or a sex therapist or a sex coach. So understanding all of that. And really the biggest one is it's always the communication piece. How do I talk to my partner? How do mm -hmm. I tell them what I want? How do I feel freer with them? How do I uh, open up and kind of just relax around them? Mm -hmm. So it's both the communication, verbal communication, but it's also physical communication. Like how do I send them signals that I'm enjoying things or that I want other things? Oh, that's fun. Okay. So gosh, I don't know if we have time to cover all of those today, but there was one thing I wanted to... Um bring up. You talked about if people feel shy and actually the word that came up for me was shame. I think mm -hmm. at least the culture that I grew up in, you know, sex was the S word. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, there was so much shame um, around sex that it's hard to talk about it openly. We even joked before we started recording episode one that I'm shy about even having this conversation publicly um, because it's such a private topic. So I'm curious, um, before we get into some of the hows, what do you see in your work um, that's connected to shame? Or do you see shame at all in your work? Absolutely. It's one of the first things that I see because we all grew up with this notion, like you said, sex is private. Sex is something you do behind closed doors. Uh, for those of us who grew up with religious backgrounds, there's even a, another layer of stigma around it that it's it's shameful. It's, it's, a, it's, it's another S word. It's mm -hmm. sinful, mm -hmm. right? And a lot of it too is associated with women's pleasure of it that so much of the, the religious bent on it has been that it's for men's pleasure and women enjoying it, that in itself is a sin. You should be doing it as a service to a man. So there's that shame. There's just shame also when it comes to our bodies. So many cultures put shame on the body, that the body is this this dirty thing that has these animalistic desires and that um, you know, it's ugly or it stinks or things like that. So, so many people have so much shame about, again, their bodies, the way they look, the way they smell, all of that. And of course, in sex, the point is to show your body to your partner and shame shows up there mm -hmm. and shame shows up with the desires, anything relating to what you want like just kind of what you want in the moment, like you want to kiss longer or you want to make out or you want a certain position or, uh, and especially the kind of desires that are more taboo or more kinky. Um, we have shame around all of them. And it's just a, a mix, a, a different mix, people to people who have, who have had more negative experiences in one area versus the other, they'll have more shame there. Right. But again, it just, it's, it's all across the board. Mm. So I think that's important to just name that, right? So if people are noticing that there's shame around the topic, they're not alone. It's very so connected to historical power dynamics, identity, 
so deep, deep, deep stuff. So it's yeah. a miracle that we actually enjoy it when, <laughs> when you're afraid exactly, of right? um, So let's let's like we have to we have to fight against all these barriers to be able to enjoy it. And what you said is very true. It's like wow, if we can enjoy it, it's 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 a miracle. It's a feat. <laughs> so uh, let's acknowledge that that might be something you have to work through in this process of of enjoying it. So let's start with just one of those. You talked about you know, a very basic question, you know, how can someone physically have better sex? I know that's so individual, so personal, but what is one thing that you think people often overlook when it comes to finding answers to that question? Well, the biggest thing that people overlook when it comes to the physical aspect is actually the other question that we haven't gotten to, which is the emotional aspect. Mm. And that is because when we think of sex, we really just, we're conditioned to think about the physical experience gets, uh, gets generalized of that sexual desire, Mm -hmm. or we think of sexual pleasure as just that orgasm that we have. Well, that comes and goes, and it's, it's affected by a lot of things. And in the beginning of a relationship that comes naturally, but that naturally dies out. Uh, in a long-term relationship, something we talked at length about in the first episode. And so then, you know, once, once that wears off, what's left, what's left is actually emotional connection. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to pleasure too, this is especially true for women. We can do something once, twice, maybe three times and still have it be exciting. But after those three times, it's going to feel repetitive and we're going to lose the pleasure of the thing that was extremely pleasurable the first time. Mm. And that's because our bodies are not made to do repetitive things over and over. And without that emotional connection, that's going to allow both people to really tune into each other and create something new, like something new that really fits the moment that physical pleasure is going to go away or it's going to be really minimal. Create like, yeah, something okay. new to fit the moment. Create something new to fit the moment. That's yeah. really beautiful. Uh, you yeah. specialize in long-term relationships. So yes. I'm thinking that's like, that's a lot to ask for. Creating something new for <laughs> to fit the moment when you've been together for 25 years, 30 years. What is it that people need to keep that spirit? Well, the first and really biggest thing is to let go of this idea that you know your partner mm. because you don't. Mm. This old idea that once we do something sexually, that is how we are, is really damaging and it's very limiting to our human potential. Mm. Who we were sexually at 16 is not who we are at 46 and 66 and 86. Oh, I love this. My word for the year is infinite possibilities. And this completely ties in to that philosophy. Exactly. That, you know, if if you really, I mean, let's let's use this analogy across the board. We don't assume that we're the same people. Mm -hmm. So we should not assume this in our sex lives. Mm -hmm. And day to day. So by the way, I looked these numbers up and they are staggering. So our skin changes over every like seven days. Mm. Our liver changes over every three months. Now don't quote me on these exact numbers because I don't remember them, but it was something like this. And our entire body changes over every seven years. So 
by no means are we actually the same as we were before. Right. And, you know, the, things change what life stage you're in. Mm -hmm. you're, you might be pursuing opportunities when you're 20, or you might be retiring from opportunities when you're 60. Mm -hmm. And your desire is going to follow that if and only if we really slow down to tune into what is our body and our soul? What, what are they all mm -hmm. saying to us? Mm -hmm. What's actually being, being called forth here? Mm, that's gorgeous. I had no idea that conversation was going to go this direction. It makes me think of a quote that um, I was just speaking about the other night um, about a woman. She said, I've been married six times, but to the same person. Yeah. So this idea yeah. of not assuming to know your partner, I love that. And I, it was so easy for me to accept that I'm a very different person from when I was 27, but it's yeah. easier to forget that our partner is too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it really, if we get very philosophical around this, I mean, think about our experiences every day. You go to work, your partner goes to work and you come back having experienced different things. Mm -hmm. And it may be, you know, hearing, I don't know, a coworker story at the office may actually transform you. It may crack your heart open mm -hmm. or it may scare you to death. Mm -hmm. And you come home with a, in, in a different place. Mm -hmm. And we discount that. Mm -hmm. And we don't get curious about these pieces, which goes back to this question about con emotionally connecting with each other. We share lives on a very practical day-to-day -day basis but we don't actually share our hearts with each other. Mm -hmm. And so it may look like you're sleeping next to the same person. You have no idea what's in, what has been going on inside of them or again, what touched them during the day that maybe cracked their heart open or closed it up. Right. We don't know. And we're opaque. So you cannot figure out <laughs> just by looking mm -hmm. on the outside of what's happening on the inside. And how to make your sex better is to learn. It's about learning to connect emotionally, learning to have these new eyes towards your partner and really get curious. What's in their heart? What are they wanting today? What did they learn or how did they change today? What are they excited about or scared about? Mm -hmm. All these questions can take your sex life, even what you've been doing before, to a whole new level. If you have an emotional connection and that is sustained throughout the day, that can really amplify uh, your sexual connection yeah. when you're together. But what do you do if one partner is more comfortable with emotional intimacy and the other is quite new to it? Well, we can look at this from the perspective of, well, my partner is not comfortable with it. So how do I change them? Mm. What do I do? How do I fix them? How do I, uh, in a way, change the situation? Mm -hmm. And this is where, where so many people get in trouble, myself included, if I look at my past, that okay, this is, it's not going the way I want it to. I need to change my partner. A different approach to this, if your partner is uncomfortable with it, is for you to model vulnerability and model emotional connection. That so much of, well, the, the, the foundation of emotional connection is safety. Mm -hmm. If we don't feel safe with each other, and if we don't feel safe with ourselves, like we don't trust ourselves to tell the truth or to really open up with a partner, 
rather than pretend or perform, especially around sex, we're not going to. So the safety piece is, is the foundation of emotional connection. And we create that by being emotionally vulnerable ourselves. We model that. And with that, we open the door to our partners. Mm-hmm. Now, the key is not to fire hose our partners with our emotional vulnerability. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it is about honoring yourself and honoring your truth and also honoring their pace. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it may be that you talk about something for 15 minutes and then you give each other a break and you come back the next day rather than spending three, four, five hours mm-hmm. talking about something. Mm-hmm. So it's both, it's, it's creating safety by, by being vulnerable yourself and opening or giving an invitation to your partner to do the same and doing it in measured amounts, mm-hmm. giving them space. Because just like with anything new, just like, you know, if you haven't exercised for several years and you go to the gym and you spend three hours Mm -hmm. at the gym the first day, you're going to be hurting the next day, (laughs) right? There's just no way about that. So it's it's the moderation Mm. piece. Mm. Uh, Do it in moderation. Get your partner feeling safe today and tomorrow and the next day, and then they'll open up more and more. That's great. That's great. Such wise advice. So how do you start that talk? Like how, what's the first step? The first step is really about getting honest with yourself about what is it that you want. Now, this is very, 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 very hard for most people because especially when things haven't been going so well, Mm -hmm. we focus on what's not working. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting my needs met. You know, he or she doesn't want to give this, you know, what I want to me. They're resisting. They're not doing this, blah, blah, blah. So we, we usually are having the sex conversation or conversations about sex way too late after we have spun out in our heads already and uh, catastrophized and found, you know, thought about worst case scenarios and built up resentment and all of that. Mm-hmm. So, it's really important to get in touch with that and to be really honest and take responsibility for it. Even though your partner may be responsible for a lot of stuff in whatever situation you're in, but the key is to take ownership. Like, yeah, you know, I did want to take more time to do sensual things. Like I wanted to take baths together or ask for a massage, but I I was too scared. I didn't want to be an inconvenience to my partner or I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to yeah, take up their energy or something like that. So I didn't. Mm-hmm. And that was necessary for me to get aroused and to actually get into my body. And so I had sex too early. I had sex that wasn't really pleasurable for me because I wasn't ready. So if you can notice here, like I'm taking responsibility mm-hmm. for how I contributed to the situation. It is. so, But listen, it's so much easier to just say, yeah, they have a person oh, on the stage. <laughs> and it's so exactly. deep. It goes so deep, right? Like yep. it's about, you know, self-worth. It's about using our voice. It's It goes yeah. deep. So this makes me think about the question. Some people are perfectly prepared 
to, you know, maybe read some of your blog articles or resources online um, that are out there. there. There's a lot more conversation around both the emotional intimacy and sexual intimacy. But there are some cases where people really would benefit from support. What are the signs Absolutely. where it's time to get support from someone like yourself or another person who specializes in this area? This is a great question. And I actually have a, an infographic on this um, and a whole article, um, which is what I call um, the marriage death spiral. And whether you're at the first stage of the spiral, which is if, if you imagine the spiral, it's narrowed the top and then it gets wider and wider as it spirals down. Mm. If you're at the top of the spiral, you will definitely benefit from, from support. If you're at the bottom of the spiral, you cannot move forward without support. Like you you need life support, basically. Your relationship needs life support. Mm-hmm. And so anywhere, where, wherever you are in the spiral, support is going to be really important in reestablishing that safety in your relationship. And so I'm just going to go over the 10 pieces of the spiral and then the listeners can, can go to the article. But any of these are... Uh, are going to cause more damage in the relationship if, if they're happening. So first one is resentment. If you're experiencing resentment towards your partner, even if it's still like at the early stage where you're like, you did the dishes wrong or, you know, why do you take the garbage out this way? It's going to continue to cause damage if it's, if it's uh, not nipped in the bud mm. because resentment grows into complaining and complaining turns into feeling really not heard in your relationship and criticized, which turns into defensiveness and arguing over the little stuff, which means that you are getting into arguments all the time, which is contributing to eventually death by a thousand paper cuts. Mm-hmm. You're not fighting about anything meaningful, but these are hurtful each time you're having him. Mm-hmm. And so it leads to distancing and pulling away from each other. And then you start to manage each other and walk on eggshells. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't tell him that. I, I can't uh, tell her that. Or, you know, you start to, this is what I see a lot with women and myself. This was me in my marriage. Um, starting to manage the situation around sex. Like, I don't want him to get the wrong signals. I am not going to wear, uh, I'm not going to walk naked in front of my partner. Because mm-hmm. I don't want him to get wrong signals. Or um, sex is like a sequence of do this, then do that, then do this and do not stray from this script because we're not going to have it. Mm, mm. Right. It becomes an incredibly rigid script, mm. which then of course feels terrible. And you start to withhold from each other. You really withhold what, what you're experiencing emotionally, what you want, everything. You might start lying like, no, I'm fine. It's mm. fine. Which leads to, feeling a lot of shame about what's happening in the relationship and starting to hide your relationship from others. You you go to parties and you smile, everything's great. Um, But you're not telling people that you're struggling, which has you focus on distractions to get relief. So somehow work starts getting busier. You decide to get chickens and you build a chicken coop and dedicate yourself to raising chickens. (laughs) I I speak about that from experience. But underneath, this is just a Band-Aid because underneath you're actually experiencing a ton of fear and you're catastrophizing 
can this last? Can I last in this? What's going to happen if we break up? And ultimately it leads to a lack of trust Mm -hmm. and it could be doubting your own, um, like whether your partner loves you and doubt and questioning whether they're actually doing what they say that they're doing, you know, is he over there working or is he watching porn Mm. or she really going out with girlfriends or, you know, why is she dressing up to go out? Is she going to see someone else? So that lack of trust is is the nail in the coffin. Yeah, I was like, have we hit the bottom yet? Because this is, we're down yeah. low. <laughs> we are wow. down low. Wow, that yeah. is incredible. And thank you for sharing that because I think there are going to be many listeners who think, wow, boom, boom, boom. Like there are so yeah. many points um, on there that people can identify with. So I think just naming that as, as red flags is a wonderful entrance to a conversation to say, Hey, honey, I noticed I'm feeling resentment or we're in a place of defensiveness and I don't want to go further on the spiral. Like that is wonderful. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, it's also conversation starter with your partner. Like you said, instead of focusing on individual complaints or grievances, you, you know, point to an expert, which is usually more powerful than trying to explain something that you've tried to explain a thousand other times before. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where expertise is really important. Most people can figure their relationships out by themselves. If they spend the next 20 years reading over the literature, getting exper- you know, getting uh, education in the area, getting experience with hundreds of couples. Mm-hmm. But the reality is obviously no one's going to do that. And so the key is to, to get someone who's an expert who can see through this. Like, you know, when I start talking to couples, literally the first call that I have with them, which is a free consultation, I see these. They don't need to tell me their history. Mm-hmm. I see how they talk to each other. I see what words they use. I see how they look at each other or they don't. Um, I can tell them exactly where they are. Mm-hmm. And that's the benefit of working with an expert. And I think there's also a danger when you, when you're in a space and you go out like to friends, let's say, and say, Hey, this is happening. Um, they might say, yeah, that's normal. Cause it's happening to me too. Or that happened in with my parents or so it, it sort of normalizes bad and it doesn't paint yeah. a picture of how it could be better. So those are really yeah. important things, I think. And seeking an expert, if you're somewhere on that spiral and you know, just having a few conversations about it isn't enough um, probably is a big sign. It's time to get outside support. Yeah. And plus with, with, like I said, with, with conversations, so many, so many of our tactics around communication is to say what we said a thousand other times, but this time louder (laughs) or, you know, articulating more clearly what we said last time or, um, yeah, just, just piling it on kind of like with advertising, all of these are terrible strategies because the more you do them, the more disconnected you, you get, the less safe it becomes in the relationship. And so the next time you pile on the same argument, your partner's heart is going to be closed. It's going to have like another lock on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so w- w- when couples get stuck in the same pattern, like, wow, we're having the same conversation over and over and over. That means that their hearts have closed to each other and they need an intervention. Yeah. 
Makes sense. So, so far we've talked about, we need emotional intimacy to build on sexual intimacy. We've looked at, we have to do our own work to work through articulating and naming what our needs are. We've talked about some of the the downward spiral when things are bad and how to sort of slow that spiral or go back up again. Um, can we talk about the good stuff? Like, people, <laughs> <laughs> but like people have yes. like, you know, decent intimacy, decent sex life. Um, but, you know, maybe they're mindful of, hey, we've been together for a long time and we're going to be together for a long time. How can we inject something fresh mm-hmm. into our lives, even when there isn't a problem. What, what do you suggest for people who are in that situation? Yeah. So once you have that, that foundation of emotional connection, then the physical aspect, it, 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 there's endless possibilities. And you don't even have to f- fold yourself into a pretzel a thousand different times, like an origami, one of those origami things <laughs> to get sexual pleasure. That actually, you know, there's so much available when you're connected because actually your whole body is more turned on when you're connected. Mm -hmm. That's especially true for women. Mm -hmm. Um, Men are just normally, just arousal is not their problem. Um, However, you know, well, let me speak first for women. So our arousal goes up. Our body responds more to pleasure when we are emotionally connected. And what that means is blood uh, flows to the genitals, they become more supple and engorged. So you're having pleasure not from friction, but actually from all that blood thumping and, and throbbing in your genitals, which means it activates this whole network of 8,000 nerve endings in, in the, uh, all connected to the clitoris. So there's so much pleasure that, that that's to be had there. Um, and, but when it comes from men, men, like I said, generally don't have problems with arousal. But what they do have is that they have arousal that's very localized. And they miss out on a whole bunch of arousal throughout their whole body. So they're, they'll probably be aroused in their, in their penis and their balls. And the sensation is there. But what they miss out on by having sex that lasts five minutes is that they miss out on the aliveness in their skin in their body, in their hearts, everywhere else but the genitals. And so when you have emotional connection, you can actually take time to explore that. And men can start to experience full body orgasms, not just localized genital orgasms. They can last longer in this journey of arousal. They can, and that's that's actually nourishing. So Typically, men will substitute quantity for quality. Mm. They will want to orgasm at least once a day, if not a couple of times a day. And that creates nice sensations. Mm -hmm. But because the rest of their body is not getting nourishment, again, quantity is is taking place of quality. But when men are able to and, and are interested in learning how to how to build that arousal and connection to their their own body through sensuality, through prolonged arousal states, they will find that they don't want sex as often because it's like a full meal. They, you know, like if when you've had a full meal, you don't need to eat an hour later, Mm -hmm. right? You're not hungry again because you, you didn't get what you needed. 
So what's really interesting is that when, and this is, this is something that is not talked about. However, it underlies a lot of our assumptions about, about women in particular. And that is that when the quality of the sex that a couple, I'll, I'll use a heterosexual couple, but this also is applicable to any couple, but specifically with a heterosexual couple, when both partners are having exquisite sex, sex that is connected emotionally, that allows them to really explore the physicality of it through sensuality, through these high states of arousal, a sense of freedom in their bodies. Men want less sex after that because they get filled up. Mm. They get very nourished. They get filled up. It's like slow food. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And again, it nourishes them on so many different levels that they feel full, like, you know, leaving the table full, Mm. which is a great feeling. Mm -hmm. But here's the surprising thing. It's not the same with for women. When women are having exquisite sex, they are, they, they're, they are, um, I'm lost for the word, but um, they want more and more of it. Are you getting distracted again? I think <laughs> I exactly. my mind just went to that place. See episode yep. one where that happened and ha- now it happened again. <laughs> I love it. I'm at a loss for words because I've been transported to that state. Right. What a gorgeous, what a gorgeous thing, right? Because there is yeah. this, you know, I always wonder when people say, well, men just want sex more often than women. And it's like, is that true? And what are the conditions and what are the optimal right. conditions for both? Exactly. Right. So it, what I'm hearing is there isn't, it's not black and white. It isn't already a, a given in advance that there are ways that we can connect that will actually steer how yeah. we interact with each other. And I'm hearing more mm-hmm. sensuality. Yeah. I'm hearing maybe a little bit more time. And, and when you have the emotional connection, the sexual connection flows. Yeah. I'm yeah. guessing it might be a safe way to enter the conversation for those who aren't used to having the emotional connection. If you sort of like tease out that, hey, this will lead to the thing that you're more comfortable with, right? Yeah. Let's experiment. That, that, might be, that might be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, all of this adds up to play. Mm-hmm. So sensuality is exploring and teasing your body with with stimulation through touch through kissing through uh, different implements and toys and and that allows you to play that allows a couple to create this literally like this playpen where they don't do things that they get to do in the rest of their lives they get to play with their bodies or they get to step into a role that they don't get to do otherwise. And so that amplifies all of this, right? Right. It, it, again, it's a realm that, that you don't share with anyone else and you don't share that out in the public. You don't share that, you know, walking through the supermarket, although you may, you can do it clandestinely with these kind of inside jokes, but, um, right. Or inside experiences, but basically this, this, this realm is just is so private and it's so unique in that way. It's, it's, it's something that you get to share with each other and that's amazing and cool. And, and again, fulfills us 
in ways that nothing else does. And that goes back to this conversation about creating something new to fit the moment, yes. right? Letting go of knowing your partner because you're discovering through that play. So yeah. we've, I'm just noticing um, there's, we could talk about this forever and I want to make sure that we make time for some of our questions from our audience. And it's actually about the opposite. It's about no sex, right? There are, one of the questions is, you know, a sex, a sex less marriage mm-hmm. can be fine if both parties just don't want sex, right? But how do you manage a situation where one half still wants sex and the other doesn't, especially when sexual intimacy is really important to the one who wants sex? Yeah. And again, we can spend hours on this and it is such a, a difficult question um, that has a lot of potential for heartbreak. And I would put this question in the category of big questions in a relationship, such as does one person want children or not? Mm. Because I'll, I'll use the, the children question as, as an example. It's a, it's something about where having children is a question, not just about, do you want to get a blue car or a red car? But it's about either living out a dream or a legacy or fulfilling something in you that's really essential. Like a part of your identity. Part of your identity, right? Part of your mission in this lifetime or in this world. Part of maybe your religious um, uh, purpose in life or your spiritual purpose. Whatever it is, right? It's a big question and it's, it's an important one where... If you don't have, if you don't fulfill this in some way, um, that it's going to, you're going to miss out on something that's really important to you. Mm -hmm. And so sex is like that for some people, not everyone. For some people, sex is, you know, preferring a blue car versus a red car. Like it's a nice to have, Mm -hmm. it's a fun thing. Or like getting a Porsche versus versus getting a, a Ford. Like it's a nice luxury. I'll take it if it's available, but not a big deal. But for others, for whom, like I said, it's more of a question of do I want children or not? It's not really an option. And so the key is just to really understand where you fall into this. Mm-hmm. And if it is on the level of wanting to have children and your partner does not, it's really about understanding again the importance of it and honoring yourself Mm -hmm. can you live the rest of your life fully can you show up in your relationship joyfully and from kind of like a full cup Mm -hmm. like you have things that make you really come alive and and that really fulfill you can you show up from that place or is giving up on sex something that is going to actually deplete you or is going to require you to give up a part of yourself. Mm-hmm. And ultimately the latter giving up a part of yourself is going to affect your partner negatively. Yeah. And so if, if you're not on the same page, sometimes it's the kinder thing to do. The more loving thing to do is to let each other go so that we can pursue the things that are really important to us. And like I said, wow, this is right. This is, this can be potentially heartbreaking, Mm -hmm. 
but the alternatives are also heartbreaking. Yeah, it's so, it's so, so complex, right? Because it's very also complex. having a polygamous relationship could add a whole nother la- layer of hard. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. Whew, yeah, and and you know, uh, yeah, opening a relationship can work for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really depends on the maturity of the couple, whether how how mature and how connected they are to each other. Mm-hmm. So it's not the maturity as in like intelligence right. or or you know, being adults, but like the maturity of the relationship, if they're really connected and if they're coming from this place of, I, the the kinder thing to do is to, to open up our marriage so that you can pursue what you want. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. Uh, You can also, of course, open up your marriage to just solve a problem that you're not willing to look at. And that's going to backfire at some point. Right. Thank you for that. That's, that's important. I think it's also important to talk about, you know, times where there is that gap. And the next question I have from the audience, we've talked a lot about heterosexual relationships, but, you know, specifically in the lesbian community, there's another layer of challenge when it comes to sexual connection. And one of the questions is about libido. And if you have two women (laughs) who are Mm -hmm. going through menopause, right? And Mm -hmm. people's libido might be impacted uh, based on hormones uh, Mm -hmm. and they might be impacted differently. What I've learned from the lesbian community is that there's this phrase called the lesbian deathbed where sexual Mm -hmm. intimacy stops. I don't know how much experience you have um, with a lesbian community for this specifically or whether that is actually still relevant in the heterosexual community, but does it have to be this way? What are your thoughts on that? So my experience with a couple lesbian couples is that they experience the death of sex the way I described it uh, in the previous episode, where in the beginning there is that natural excitement and then it tapers off. And a big piece of it is, it, or all of it is for the exact same reasons. In the beginning, it's the hormones. The, the hormones are making you do it. Mm. Then the love is making you do it. But then when all of that settles, the hormones wane, the love starts to have cracks in it, right? Mm -hmm. Resentment starts to build in, the disappointments grow, all of that. That hormone-driven sexual passion dies out. Mm -hmm. And so um, with two women, you actually have an amplification of the, the emotional disconnect because both partners are really sensitive to it, more sensitive than if it was a heterosexual couple. So if there is that emotional disconnect and they start down on that spiral, again, it gets amplified mm-hmm. because the connection just has a bigger um, influence on both of them. Mm. So in a way, it, it, is, it, it has bigger impact. On lesbian couples. It also sounds connected to what we talked about in episode one about people who are initiating sex more often versus people who are receptive yeah. to sex. And if there's a hormone loss and the libido loss biochemically, right, the initiator okay. might take away the initiator role. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then you're left with both people not initiating mm-hmm. and everything disappearing. Right. And last thing I want to say about hormones, and this, I want this, I, I want to point to this being the theme in my work, is that our reliance on hormones to drive our sexual desire is a recipe for failure, mm. because our hormones obviously change with age, whether you're a woman or a man, um, hormones change, 
Um, and it, it, hormones depend on a lot of different things, which makes them unreliable. If things are going great, they're up. If things are not going great, like you are not eating well, you haven't exercised, you, um, you haven't slept, this and that, they will not work reliably. And so to, to base your sexual desire in a long-term relationship on hormones, like I said, is a recipe for failure. The opposite is learning to connect emotionally and explore each other, play with each other's bodies through sensuality, through uh, goalless touch, through stimulation of different kinds to meet your body and actually uh, to create responsiveness. Mm -hmm. So it's like when you're, you know, when no one is touching you, you're neutral. But when someone starts to play with your body, you start to respond positively like, oh, wow, that feels good. First, I feel relaxed. Then I start to get tingles and start to feel a little bit fired up. And now I'm just like jumping on my partner and kissing them because I have so much desire flowing out of, out of me. Like all of that starts to build up. And this we have control over. This is also so inspiring. Like when I, I, I was sharing with you in the last episode about Ashton Applewhite's book, This Chair Rocks, and how she shared how it's possible to have that kind of sensual or sexual connection into your mid-70s or mid-80s. And yeah, that's exactly absolutely. what you've said. It's through this um, non-reliance of hormones. Mm -hmm. And actually the reliance, what I'm hearing is on the intention. The intention is to stay connected, not we are connected. So let's do that. It's let's connect. And then it will lead to other sort of playful ways. Uh, so that I think Absolutely. is a huge takeaway for me. Um, yeah. What I've learned from your work and what I'm learning from others um, in this area. And that's so exciting because actually what you need is that intention, not the intention. Hormones. Right. Exactly. Intention and also practices in place. Mm -hmm. right. um, for those people who, who are familiar with yoga, it's that by showing up to yoga, even not without doing all the poses or without doing everything uh, or, or doing it well, just by showing up and by um, committing to, to showing up, you actually are practicing mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. So, it's about showing up to be with each other. And then in that moment, determining what's appropriate. Because in some moments, let's say you show up to your daily 15 minutes of connection time, which is one of the things I teach my couples to do is every day connect physically. When they show up to that one day, it could be that they are so hot for each other because they've had an amazing time throughout the rest of the day and they just want to rip their clothes off each other and make out and, and leap into sex. <laughs> and other times they are, they're grieving a loss. Mm. There was a funeral mm. earlier that day and their connection during that time is obviously going to be very different. Mm -hmm. And it's about finding what that physical it may be first comfort to each other might look like mm -hmm. to then maybe using central touch and stimulation to actually show love to each other while one or both people are grieving to expressing grief 
through movement with each other or whatever may show up. Mm. And this is where the realm of possibilities is endless. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. You know, I always think about, you know, now that I'm, I want to say now that I'm (laughs) middle-aged, I've probably been middle-aged for a while. Um, I, you know, you, you appreciate wisdom from your parents in, in fresh ways, you know, and my Mm -hmm. mom always said, you know, they've been married for 50 years. I mean, she always said, Sunday, do you think that your father and I would be married uh, for five more years if we stopped working on a relationship? And I was actually like, uh, yeah, because you guys are a given, you know <laughs> what I mean? But I get it. Like, this is this idea of intention and practice mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. even if you've been married for 50 years, if you stop the shared intention, if you stopped the practice, that things will will decline. So that's yeah. beautiful. Um, gosh, thank you so much. There's so much that you've shared. I know there's so much more. Um, do you mind if we just turn our attention to you you as an individual, just for a second, um, before we wrap up and help people understand uh, where they can find you. So we, you know, on, on my show, I talk about ambitious transformation and transition. And I'm always very interested in hearing from our experts, what's going on in their lives. Uh, Because it's as an expert, you're on a pedestal, and you've, you look like you've got it all together, but we all know that humans are messy. <laughs> so um, oh, yeah. I'm curious for just for you right now, when you hear your life in transit, what transitions are meaningful for you right now? Or are you feeling? Well, for me, I, I feel like I'm at the end of a transition stage, which is a transition in and mm-hmm. of itself. So I moved to to a new country, the Netherlands, um, almost two and a half years ago. And so and the COVID hit. So there's been a lot of uh, a lot of transitioning, a lot of uh, just uh, chaos happening. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm set, I've settled. Mm. And this is now opening up so much more energy to do things that I want. And I love it. I love this now stage where, wow, I have more time, more energy, more freedom to pursue things that really were on the back burner because of of COVID and the move and everything else. And so one of the things is pursuing this dream that I've had now for many years, which is to work with horses. Mm. And I, my background in, in training and somatic experiencing has really uh, transformed the way I look at horses, the way I understand them mm-hmm. and the the value that they, or the way I see the value that they provide. And so I started working with horses and they're kicking my ass, oh, right? <laughs> Literally yeah. and figuratively. Yeah. Talk about uh, confronting yourself, right? Exactly. Yeah. And w- one of the most powerful things, which is, which is, again, it's, it's, it's fueling this inner transition in me, this inner um, transformation is that, you know, you can break a horse, but that's not the kind of mm-hmm. horsemanship that I'm into. I really want to make horses into my partners. Mm. And so what I'm having to learn to do is how to play with a horse. And one of the things I heard from one of my teachers is this idea of playing with the horse's energy, engaging it and bringing out its be- the best of it. Mm. And then they feel safe with you. They open up with you and they want to do more. Mm. And, you know, I, I 
do that so well with humans. And now I'm like, wow, wow. <laughs> now I get to do this with this thousand pound uh, animal. And again, it's just, it's, it's, it, it works so well with everything that I've done. And it's also pushing me to these new edges and I love it. I, I feel like I, I, I'm reaching this new level of growth that I didn't know existed and super excited for that it. Is, it makes so much sense, right? Like you said, you've been working with sensual energy, sexual energy. Now it makes sense that you go to another level. Yeah. So um, tell us a little bit about what you define as ambitious right now, because as I've shared with my community, ambition needs to be defined by yourself for yourself rather than being influenced by some external scope or scale. So for you, what is ambitious right now? Well, it's, it also relates to the horses um, that it's been a, a long time dream for me to have a retreat center. Mm. And um, I, I had to, I had to put all of that off uh, to the back burner in these last couple of years. And so for me, ambition is, uh, giving myself permission to dream big. This is what I want. I want to have a retreat center with horses. I want to do couples work with horses mm. uh, eventually yeah. when I learn yeah. how to be with horses. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so in a way, again, like I mentioned, the, the chaos has subsided and I'm opening myself up to some of these big dreams. I don't have to be uh, um, surviving from day to day because the last couple of years have been crazy. Right. Um, that like, okay, what are my big dreams? What is it that I really want? Um, and reconnecting to that and giving myself permission to do that, even though horse wise, I may not be there yet, but yeah, gorgeous. allowing myself to dream big. It's gorgeous. So listen, there's something I can't end this episode without asking you. I want to know <laughs> how people respond to you at a party when you tell us <laughs> that you are an expert in women's libido and sexual desire. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there's two types of people. Some, you know, tell me that they have to rearrange their sock drawer and that has to happen immediately and they have to leave. Um, and then there's others who love the topic and can't stop talking about it. So, um, <laughs> I love parties where there's more of the the latter and less of the former, um, but it definitely yes, it's it's uh, it's often people pause. We're like, wait, did you just say what you said? <laughs> you do. Yep. Oh my gosh! Thank you so much. Um, for those of you who are listening, please go and check out her website. Your blog is amazing. You give so much insight, and I remember mm -hmm. when I was you know prepping for our call, I was like. Oh, this is like a really good article. Like, <laughs> I was like, awesome. "Are you prepping for the call anymore, Sunday?" It was, <laughs> it was. It's really, really wonderful. You've got great things there. So I'm going to put that in the show notes. People get a hold of you. Um, what's the best way that you like people to be in contact with you? Yeah, my website is is that um, it's irenefair.com, and so you can contact me there, set up a consultation, download a free video series. Um, and other videos. You can yeah read articles. That's the best way. Yeah. Wonderful. So check it out. It's been so wonderful. Thank you for joining me in this two-part series. It's been so one. So wonderful, Irene. I want to just say thank you from the bottom of my heart. 
Thank you. And I, I, I love, I, I love this interview because I get to laugh so much too. And, and even though it's a serious topic, yeah, you've made it super easy. So thank you. You can see where we definitely connect on, on play and this yes. for emotional intimacy as well. So for all Indeed. of you listening, thank you for being here. This is Sunday Bean with In Transit with Sunday Bean. Thank you for being here. I am going to leave you with the words from Janine Roth and I had no idea when I picked out this quote, how apt it would be to our conversation. So here it is. Intimacy is not something that just happens between two people. It is a way of being alive. At every moment, we are choosing either to reveal ourselves or to protect ourselves, to value ourselves or to diminish ourselves, to tell the truth or to hide, to dive into life or to avoid it. Intimacy is making the choice to be connected to rather than isolated from our deepest truth as that moment. <laughs>